Wow, that was quite an introduction. I hope he's still saying that at the end today as well. Oh, my goodness, it is such an honor to be back with you guys uh, today. As uh, President Hagan has already shared, um, I feel a, a deep connection to this place. Longtime friends with uh, Professor Tibbetts. Yeah. Professor Leibengood. I've known her since she was a little girl. Um, yeah, I can say that, right? Uh, proud member of the Board of Regents here, and then also NCU parent. My daughter Emma down here, I promised I wouldn't embarrass her today, uh, but you can embarrass her later. I mean, that's on you, all right? Um, but uh, just to expound, just to give you a little context for what I'm going to share with you today, just um, as Scott already mentioned, I uh, started in the business world actually back in the day. Um, I was an accountant, worked for a CPA firm. I like to tell people I'm a recovering accountant. I've been clean for 20 years now, completely clean. Um, then ended up taking uh, a 12-year kind of unexpected detour into full-time ministry. Uh, I was on staff, um, actually, with Professor Leibengood's dad back at Lakeview Church in Indianapolis. And then, hey, we got some LC folks here. All right. I uh, was a church planter in downtown Indianapolis for four years and now have found myself kind of back straddling the business world and the ministry world uh, as executive in executive leadership of two organizations. One, um, President Hagen already referred to. Uh, the other is really the, the engine that drives it. We, we own, manage, and construct affordable housing through an organization called CRF Affordable Housing. And then half of the profits from CRF every year go to global missions work, and we do that through the stone table, which is our missions arm. So we give to strategic missions projects, and we also, we just like to stir up and multiply the mission of God through the marketplace. We like to say we accelerate the great commission through the marketplace. That's one of the things we talk about a lot. So we're business practitioners serving the church kind of at the intersection of faith and work. So that just gives you a little a little context on me today. Colossians 1, 19 and 20 is a verse that we love to use in this context. It says, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with, with what? Everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So the gospel redeems and resurrects all things, including including the work of our hands. See, we don't believe there's anything called secular work, not for a Christian, right? You don't go into the secular marketplace for a job. It is all redeemed by the gospel. So if you're a pastor, if you're a missionary, if you're a business person, if you're in the marketplace, if you're a stay-at-home parent, if your job is esteemed, if it's humble, if it's high-paying or minimum wage, whether you are a brain surgeon or you sweep floors at a local fast food restaurant in Christ. The work you do is sacred. So I don't care what your major is here at North Central University. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the work that you pursue with your life when you leave here is a sacred and holy thing. And I want to encourage you to treat it that way. All right? So we like to talk about the marketplace through three major lenses. We talk about our work in the great story. We talk about our work in the great commandment. And we talk about our work in the great commission but we'd be here all day if I talked to you about all three, all right? So I just want to focus in on one this morning, and I want to talk to you specifically about your personal story and God's great story and how these two things are meant 
to fit together for your calling and your purpose in this life. Can you pray with me real quick? Can we do that? Lord, we just invite your spirit into this room. We thank you that you are here. We worship and we honor you. And Jesus, whatever happens over these next few minutes, I pray that you would be glorified and that people would walk from this place seeing Jesus Christ and him crucified. So we put the, the rest of this time in your hands and we thank you for it in your name. Amen. So you guys are college students. It's a fascinating time of life, isn't it? <laughs> you know, I, I tell Emma, you guys, it's, it's a unique season because you get some of the benefits of being an adult while maintaining some of the benefits of being a kid, right? It's kind of this long crossfade. You're in dream mode right now. Your whole future is ahead of you possibility. What's the story of your life going to be? You want to impact the world. You want to change the world. Some of you just want to pay off your student loans. <laughs> but you got blank pages ahead of you, right? And you're here at North Central University preparing to write something beautiful and God-honoring with your story. I remember this phase of life. My, my first two and a half years of college were at Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, I wanted to be the next Michael W. Smith. You guys know a guy named Michael W. Smith? I think, I think they might have a picture here, too, to kind of throw me to the wolves. Uh, I even had the clothes to prove this, okay? Um, check this out, all right? You see that? You see that? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I used to have hair. It's amazing. That, that blue jacket on the right there, that was the inspiration of 1991's Go, Go West Young Man album cover. All right, My family drove all over the city of Indianapolis looking for a bright blue jacket because of my fascination with Michael W. Smith. Right, so, But that was what drove me. That was what drove me to Nashville. It's what drove me to pursue music with my life. And I still love this guy. I have an old playlist that I crank up in my office. Uh, him and Neil Diamond, all right, some afternoons. But, but listen, I look back. Look, I look back on my life, and I see how God orchestrated all of my dreams and my desires, even the self-absorbed ones, to make something beautiful, all right? But I'm going to tell you, this is what I want to talk to you about today. There was a, there's a perspective shift that, that I wish would have shaped me earlier in my journey, especially in this kind of live your dream, follow your heart culture that we live in today in America. And it's that perspective shift that I want to talk with you about just for a few minutes today, all right? But to do that, I want to tell you a story, okay? I want to tell you a story about a guy named Nick. Nick was born into a well-to-do family. He was the son of a businessman, a successful businessman, but unfortunately Nick's dad passed away when he was just 10 years old. So Nick's mother sent him to another city to live with his uncle because she felt like Nick really needed a strong male influence in his life. Nick's uncle was a respected pastor and spiritual leader in this community, and he saw to Nick's education and upbringing from that day forward. He gave him the best learning opportunities available. And Nick ended up in college, just like all of you, studying a wide range of subjects like art, math, religion, history. But Nick had this, this passion, this driving passion for outer space. 
the astronomy bug had bit him. He could not stop staring at the stars. He collected books. He spent all of his spare time reading, consuming anything and everything he could find in the field of astronomy. He was totally obsessed. And one day, he skipped class. You guys never skip class, do you? Emma, you never skip class, right? Okay. All right. <laughs> but this day when Nick had skipped class, he met, he ran into a guy, he met a guy who shared his passion for astronomy. He was a master astronomer. And he began mentoring Nick from that day forward. And Nick started working as his assistant. And before long, these two guys were working together and they were formulating new mathematical calculations that ultimately challenged one of the most fundamental astronomical theories of their day, that the Earth was the center of the universe. So the year was 1500, and Nick is a guy you probably know better as Nicholas Copernicus, or Copernicus. And really, Copernicus rediscovered what is now known as the heliocentric theory of astronomy. I'm at a university today. I'm going to use big words. makes me feel good. But the heliocentric theory of astronomy is that it says that the sun, not the earth, is actually the center, and the earth is just one of many objects that revolve around it. And believe it or not, this was not a, a new theory, really. Scientists had proposed this theory since as early as the third century BC, historians tell us. But Nick finally figured out how to prove it. And this discovery disrupted everything. Everything. See, no longer could humanity see itself and its world as the center of all things. The constant that everything else revolved around. On a foundational, scientific level, human beings had to face the fact that their entire existence is supported by a tiny, spinning, almost inconsequential mass in an immeasurable, vast, and unexplored universe. And this was super humbling and proof or no proof, people did not like it. And I mean, no, no one liked this, all right? You may have studied the, theory of, or the story of Copernicus as a battle between objective science and superstitious religion. But actually, that's, that's a bit of revisionist history. The truth is, no one, no one in this day believed that the earth revolved around the sun. It just was not scientifically observable. It wasn't logical. And let's be honest, it just didn't, it didn't feel right either. See, the, the Copernican Revolution didn't just change the science of astronomy. It changed how we humans see ourselves in relation to a much greater whole. So when it comes to understanding your life story, my life story, our work, our careers, our talents and giftings, the dreams that we have for our lives, the first thing, the first thing we have to do is remove ourselves from the center. See, we all need our own Copernican revolution. See, I think one of the reasons so many people in this world, even believers, struggle to, to write a great story, to find meaning in their work, is because we still see ourselves as the center of our own story. And it's kind of understandable, isn't it? I mean, I'm standing up here right now, and I see the world through my lens, okay? Every camera shot, from my perspective. I am the main character in my own movie. The rest of you are just my supporting cast. 
Today you're my crowd extras. I, I'm, I'm grateful for that. But let's be honest, if you guys come or go, if you leave, if you get bored, you got to go to the bathroom, I mean, it, it, it may impact the storyline a bit, but it does not change the fact that my story is a, about me. It's being propelled forward by me. I'm grateful for your help, all right? But my face is on the movie poster. And the truth is, you're saying the exact same thing about me today, too. Maybe not overtly, but intuitively. See, our sin nature, our sin nature will always put the self at the center of everything. This has been true of us since Genesis chapter 3. The rest of the world and its storyline revolves around me. That's what my sin nature tells me. So, if I look at my job, my career, even my ministry, our, our everyday tasks, the ambition that we have for the future, the question that we're all inherently asking ourselves underneath the surface is, does this work fit the story that I am writing about myself? Does it fulfill me? Does it make me happy? Does it give me worth? Does it earn me respect? Does it give me more power and autonomy? Does it fit my identity or the way I want to see myself? And since nothing outside of God himself can carry the weight of my identity, the answer is always no. We even do this with ministry things, don't we? See, just because you work for a church, a Christian organization, or a Christian cause doesn't mean your sin nature's not at work as well. You know, we can just as easily make the story about us in ministry and church work as an entrepreneur or businessman or an artist or there's plenty of empire building going on. See, we sinful humans are actually capable of doing seemingly beautiful and selfless things for completely selfish reasons. It's amazing. You know, I'm kind of with Paul. Oh, what a wretched man that I am. Who will save me from this body of death, right? Thank God for Jesus. See, when it comes to our life story, our career, our everyday work, we all need a Copernican revolution, or I like to call it a, a gospel revolution. See, we are not the main characters in a story we are writing about ourselves. We are beloved members of the supporting cast in a divine cosmic narrative that God has been unfolding since the beginning of time. It's pretty epic, but it requires a, a humbling perspective shift. See, we will never find fulfillment and meaning in our story, our career, our ministry, our daily work of any kind until we put our story in orbit around God's great story. It's Jesus' face on the movie poster. So, if our lives, our work, our stories, what we wake up and go do every day, big or small, is really part of a greater story, what is that great story? What is that great story? We call it the meta-narrative, the meta-narrative of the Bible. And it, I, I'm going to acknowledge today, it's it's a little dangerous for the business guy to be talking so much theology at a Christian university, okay? Surrounded by a bunch of Bible teachers, but they can, they can correct me if I'm wrong afterwards, okay? They'll, they'll fill you in. But I want to take the next five minutes, and I just want to walk through, I want to take a little risk here, and I'm going to walk through a, a survey of the entire Bible. Because here's what I discovered, all right? Here's what I discovered. I have a tendency to read the Bible as an encyclopedia of sorts, 
What I mean by that, see, we, we look for topics or examples that will give us instruction on life, what I call advice or how-tos. I was at a Bible study with a group of business guys last week, and all of them were asking, hey, can you guys give me some advice? Give me some best practices on how I should handle X or Y. What does the Bible have to say about that, right? So, like, if we, if we need leadership advice, we flip open to the L's in the encyclopedia of the Bible, right? <laughs> or if, we need, if we're struggling with work-life balance, maybe we turn to the, to the M's and we look up marriage advice or, or parenting advice. Or, or we're dealing with a tough staffing issue at our office, and so we flip over to the, to, to the D section for decisions. How do I make good decisions? And please don't get me wrong, okay? It's not that the Bible's not full of good advice. Actually, it's the best advice ever. But there's a danger in just looking at the Bible as a spiritual how-to manual. It kind of, it tends to keep me at the center. Here's who I am, what I'm doing, and how do I just apply a little bit of God to it? How do I sprinkle some Jesus on my business or my family? The Bible is more than a salt and pepper shaker of good advice. See, the scriptures are actually a story. They're a story. An epic redemption narrative that the creator of the universe has so graciously offered to write us into. That formal word is meta-narrative or an overarching account of events. So we say the great story. So what, what's the story arc? What are the origins and endings? Where did it all begin? Where is it all going? And what's my role in it all? And that's what I want to take the next just five minutes and walk through today. I'm going to do a, a five-minute flyover of the thousands of years covered in the 66 books of the Bible, all right? So what is the great story? Walk with me here for just a second, all right? Theologians categorize the great story, some of them into four acts, all right? I'm just going to simplify it down into four acts. None of this will be new to you, but I want to zoom out. I want to zoom out from Scripture, and I want to look at it from a 100,000-foot macro level for just a minute, all right? So let's start at the origins. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. See, God created mankind in his image, so he could share his love. His intent was to dwell with us, to temple with us, or tabernacle with us. And that plan was that the earth itself would be this temple, the meeting place of God and mankind. Genesis 3.8 says, God walked with man in the cool of the day. See, Eden was a perfect paradise, not just because it was green and lush and pristine, but because God himself was with man. See, this was God's intent for for creation to live in the fullness of his presence. With God, you and I are fully alive and fully human. But what happened? The fall. See, our desire to be God and not just reflect God, broke this union. Genesis 3, 5, the serpent said to them, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Genesis 3, 5. See, sin broke our designed union with the creator and separated God and man. Isaiah 59.2, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. 
See, we had all that we needed in the very presence of God himself, but our free will, we leveraged it to go searching for our identity and everything except where we were designed to find it. And that idolatry is the root of all of our sin. And so God had to cast mankind out of his presence. See, his holiness and our rebellion cannot coexist. And man was left to function alone, disconnected from our source. And this absence of God's presence did not only affect man, but all creation. Romans 8 tells us that creation itself groans for its liberation. I like how C.S. Lewis put it. It was always winter, but never Christmas. And yet, since Genesis 3, God has been passionately pursuing the reconnection of this broken relationship. See, the great story shows us a loving creator chasing down his beloved, lost, and wandering creation to restore fellowship and togetherness. Enter the redemption chapter. See, God began the redemption act first through a promise to a man named Abraham. Then he extended it to a people called Israel. And he began connecting with mankind again in strategic and protected ways because his holiness would devour our sinfulness. His presence lived between the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle and then the temple behind a curtain in the Holy of Holies. And the law was given as a temporary guardian outlining the expectations for a holy life. Sin was dealt with through a series of animal sacrifices and offerings. But see, this storyline foreshadowed the permanent solution to redeem all creation and reestablish, for God to reestablish his kingdom. Enter Jesus, right? The perfect and final sacrifice for sin. See, when Jesus cried, it is finished, John 19, 30, the temple veil was torn and the first fruits of God's kingdom were reestablished on this earth. See, God's grace burst into the world beginning to reawaken those who put their faith in Christ, to put right what sin had destroyed, to put God's original plan back on track. And through faith, Jesus now takes up residence in us, no longer a tabernacle or a temple made of stone, but in human hearts. 1 Corinthians 3.16, did you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Through Christ, God and man can once again be reunited. John 14, 23, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home, where? With him. But my friends, this is not the final act of the story, is it? See, God is now restoring all things to himself through Christ. We are the first fruits of this kingdom, the, the buds of, you could say, on the trees announcing that spring is coming. And we live in this chapter of the great story called the already and the not yet. We are stewards now and caretakers, representatives of this chapter of the great story, a foretaste of the kingdom to come, but the whole thing is coming. Revelation 1-7, look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. One day, Jesus will physically return again and complete. He will finish this great story. Heaven, the new creation. Once again, God and man will fully and completely dwell together. Check this out. Revelation 21.3. 
Behold, the dwelling place of God is where? With man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So what in the world does this story have to do with our day jobs, our careers, our everyday work? It has everything to do with it. Everything. See, this is the great story that you and I have been reborn into. The great story of God in which all our stories, every aspect, great or small, find their purpose and meaning. See, God is not someone we invite into our story. We have been invited into his. So hear me. If you only hear one thing that I say today, hear this. Your ambition, your dreams, your wiring, your giftings, your passions, these are all God-given gifts. But they were made to be derivative. Derivative. See, we are vice regents, caretakers and stewards of our Redeemer's storyline, not our own. We are image bearers, reflectors of God Almighty. We are beloved and cherished members of the supporting cast. This is where we find purpose, meaning, and joy in our calling. This is the story where you and I are fully alive. So our story, our career, our pursuits, our work is not primarily about fulfilling our ambition. It's not about getting rich, although making money is not a bad thing and we could do a whole sermon on that. It's not about accumulating power. It's not about earning respect and admiration from others. It's not about making our mark on the world. It's not about becoming famous or well-known. Did you know Jesus may call you to anonymity? (laughs) To write a story of faithfulness to him that doesn't even register in the world's eyes? He may call you to that. See, whatever your major today, your calling, your career in ministry and marketplace in missions, your story is in orbit around the great story of Jesus Christ. And as followers of Christ, this, this gospel revolution rewires everything. We enter the story. We embody the story And we proclaim this story to the ends of the earth. We flip the script. See, the life story that you are writing is a subscript in this great cosmic redemptive story of God. And it's an honor to play that role. Eugene Peterson said, we we are not being led to see God in our stories, but to see our stories in God's. So as we close up today, I just want to tell you a quick story. Back in the 1980s, um, when I was growing up, my, my dad was in the nursing home business. I think we got a picture of him. My dad's one of my heroes in this life. But my dad, always, he had this business partner when he was in the nursing home business I always liked. The guy uh, had a big personality. He was a great storyteller. He was a fun guy. After they sold out their business in the early 90s, my dad turned his focus to CRF, the business I told you about earlier, utilizing his business skills to raise funds for missions. His partner moved to Florida, got into a number of different business opportunities, and actually did really, really well for himself. In fact, Mandy and I stayed in his beachfront condo for our honeymoon back in the mid-90s. But unfortunately, over the last decade, 
an extremely bad business deal turned into a disaster for this guy. And he lost everything, literally everything, his money, uh, his house. They even confiscated his furniture and his clothing. They, they came in and they took the dog's food from the house. He lost his good name. But in the aftermath, he gave his life to Christ. He gave his life to Christ. And just a few weeks ago, my folks spent some time with he and his wife over dinner in South Florida. And my mom sent me the following text after they ate together. She said, we sat at dinner with Jay who has lost everything his hands had strived for. And he sobbed over his past lifestyle. He told us he, he now lives with eternity in mind. He loves Ecclesiastes because he can identify with the words of Solomon. Jay has found true riches through Jesus Christ. And he quoted Ecclesiastes 2.11, Then I considered all which my hands had done and labored to do, and behold, all was vanity, chasing after the wind. There was nothing of lasting value under the sun. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? So do you want purpose and meaning for your life story? What you're pursuing, your work, your career, your ministry, your calling? It's a Copernican revolution. It's a, it's a gospel revolution. We need to flip the script See, you and I are not the main characters in a story we are writing about ourselves. Put your story in orbit around God's story. Enter the story, embody the story, and proclaim the story to the ends of the earth. So I just want to pray as we close today. Let me just pray for you today. Father, we humble ourselves before you. God, I thank you for every one of these students in this room. Lord, you are pursuing them. God, you love them. You gave yourself for them, and you are calling them into a beautiful story that is so much bigger than themselves. I just pray today for each of them, whatever they are pursuing with their major, with their future career choices, God, I just pray that as they put that under you and they put themselves in orbit around you, Lord, that you would help them to find their purpose, their meaning, their joy, God, in being a part of a story that's so much greater than themselves. Lord, I know how easily my heart wavers, how easily, Lord, I can pick up the baton and make it about me. And I just pray, God, for all of us today. We just, we confess to you again today, Lord. We repent, God, of making this about ourselves. Lord, it is all about you. Lord, regardless of what we do, God, may our lives serve that greater story. Thank you for inviting it into us, through your, uh, us into it through your son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you guys.